Welcome to the Truth CSGO podcast, episode 96. Today we're talking about the allegations against Henry G, Launders and Red Eye and their responses, accusations of cheating from Gaulers and Fallen against members of Chaos. I review Zonic's autobiography and a conversation with a listener who's addicted to skins. Hey guys, this is Electro. Hey guys, I'm Guardian. This is Daps. This is Nico. This is Nifty. This is Chris J. This is Fair. Code Zero. Flusher. This is Kerrigan. Are you listening to the truth? The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. CSGO podcast. The truth. CSGO podcast. The truth. CSGO podcast. Are we rushing in or are we going sneaky beaky like? So, first up, just an announcement the podcast is now on Spotify. I applied some time ago and I must have missed the notification, so I'm not sure how long it's been there, but you can search for all the episodes there, better late than never. Now, the last episode was not a fun one for me, and the nature of the allegations against Henry G were of a serious nature, and I took them seriously and was honest about my thought process. It can be pretty overwhelming when considering what to think about these things, and it's important to be honest about that. If you're a fan of someone accused of something shocking or you've experienced something similar, it may be distressing to read the sort of accusations and testimonies that are currently flying around, and that's okay. Unless you're a friend or a relative of anyone involved, you probably don't have to have an opinion. You may not have to make up your mind about any of it, and you probably shouldn't feel pressured to do so. I know it can feel like a relief to decide one way or another whether someone is quote-unquote a bad person, but I assure you there can be just as much relief in remembering that everyone is human, uh, just like you, and it really has no bearing on your life whether you know the truth about what has happened or not. Now, it's possible people will put pressure on you to have an opinion, And as I've spoken about before on this podcast, morality has become a sign of distinction amongst the middle class in the West. A public display of outraged virtuousness, or virtue, has taken the place of the Versace dress or the Vuitton handbag. So you should no more feel pressured to make up your mind on an issue because someone shouts at you than you should to buy the latest pair of Nikes. I had a critic on Reddit who listened to the first part of the last episode where I said I assumed it was a better idea to turn to the court of law rather than the court of public opinion, who wrote me off as having the wrong set of opinions and then tried to educate me on Reddit. After I explained that they hadn't listened to the part where I actually did educate myself in real time, they apologized and explained they'd had personal experiences where their friends were raped and chose not to talk to police. What was striking to me in this exchange was the lack of awareness that I, too, might possibly have had experiences similar to theirs or their friends and simply not chosen to talk about it. In other words, the real danger isn't in turning something off uh, or turning off an opinion that you don't want to hear or tuning out of an opinion that you don't want to hear. Sometimes the real danger, I think, is in dehumanizing other people because they hold an opinion you don't like. A couple of years ago, I was writing a screenplay set in the Middle East, in Syria specifically, and I had grown up hearing about the Middle East, mostly on the news, occasionally from refugees who lived at my house, which my mother had volunteered as a halfway stop for those on bridging visas in Australia. But for this script, I really had to know a lot more uh, about the geography of the Middle East, about the history of it, about who was at war and when, 
And as I began to deep dive, I realized the more I knew, the more I didn't know. The more I learned, the more I realized I had to learn. And any complex subject, it seems to me, has this as its characteristic. If you feel certain of something, then it's possible you simply haven't learned enough about it to feel uncertain. So I would urge you to remember the words of Charles Darwin. He said, ignorance more frequently begets confidence than does knowledge. Anyway, shortly after last week's episode came out, Henry G. issued a response to the allegations by Kelly Jean in his own document, admitting to bad behavior but refuting the accusation of rape, providing screenshots and chat logs of his own. She then hit back with different screenshots, and I very quickly, like many of you following this issue, uh, I would imagine, got a little too confused by everything that was said. Beyond the limitations of chat logs as evidence, which, as far as I'm aware, can be dismissed in a court of law because someone can have all sorts of motives for simply saying something, the limitations of the court of public opinion then reared their ugly head. Unlike a jury, we online observers are not required to see all the evidence and we're not given a rundown of every piece presented uh, before our deliberations. So some of us are going to comb through every tweet and screenshot, but some of us are simply going to read the top two opinions on Reddit because that's perhaps all we have time for on our morning commute. Now, last week I discovered, at least in the UK, that only 1.4% of rape cases lead to charge. But if the court of public opinion had actual legal power, it seems that 100% (laughs) of cases would lead to some sort of charge and then perhaps an overturning of conviction, and then an appeal, and so on, with perhaps also an ever-diminishing interest from the public. In light of that, we've also since had Launders accused of sexual assault, or rape, I guess. Launders is another CSGO caster who was accused via Twitter by a user called Melanie. He then responded in similar fashion to Henry by releasing a document of his own, denying the allegation and drawing some question marks over Melanie's mental health. This also occurred via Twitter. I think the saddest thing to come out of these back and forths, whether or not you believe any of it, is that there is obviously a large amount of dysfunction and hurt somewhere at the bottom of it. Whether it's rooted in a young girl who felt unworthy of resisting someone's manipulative attention, or a young man who felt unworthy of finding a partner he didn't have complete control over, Both situations paint a bleak picture of arrested development and self-love. Now, before the dust had settled on these two events, this is just in the last week, James Banks, a caster, host, and commentator in CSGO, he got in on the action and released accusations it appears he'd been threatening to do for a while. These were against Paul Shalona. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I just know him as Red Eye, as you probably do. I've praised him before as a desk host. Banks accused Red Eye of threatening to end his career in esports if he didn't do what Red Eye wanted, which seems to have been stepping down from his contracted role as host at Gfinity, an esports company, circa 2015, and taking a different role as an interviewer. Uh, Banks then goes on to single out other unpleasant behavior towards him and others in the scene, including apparently punching someone, shouting, being an asshole, and a gatekeeper. He also accuses Red Eye's company, Code Red, of threatening him uh, with, I'm not exactly sure, but I don't know, threatening him with something for publishing these accusations. After this, Red Eye and Code Red then released statements that denied some of the allegations, like the physical assault, 
uh, like that Red Eye had ever threatened to run banks out of the industry, but admitted to some others that Paul, for instance, had a temper. And also that, uh, well, they kind of tried to smear some of Banks' character as well for past homophobic behavior. <sighs> Banks then put out another statement referring to a court case Red Eye was once involved in that apparently uh, revolved around domestic abuse uh, and that Paul was cleared for. <laughs> a supposed jury member came out and suggested that he was only cleared from through some legal technicality and I got twisted up more and more in this story. And I found myself, uh, in attempting to do some due diligence, I found myself going to other subreddits where I realized this sort of thing was, was kind of going on all over the place at the moment, um, at least as, as far as I could tell in other games like Dota, World of Warcraft, um, and even Magic the Gathering. And it was at this point that all questions in my mind of who in these specific cases was in the right or wrong faded into the background to make way for a single question, which was, why the fuck was I reading all this shit? Twitter, for me, had suddenly become and has suddenly become an everlasting pit of hearsay and emotion and negativity. And I did feel like... Um, a little bit like one of those family judges who are just dealing with shitty case after shitty case after shitty case. It was like I'd dip a toe in to social media and before I knew it, I was neck, neck deep in, in quicksand and clicking on every link as I was doing, you know, and trying to research this suddenly felt to me like I was just walking down the street and I'd see a cloud of flies and I'd investigate and find a piece of shit every time. And I'm not talking about a human piece of shit. I mean, the situation was shit. Now, there is one thing that I've been mulling over, and I haven't actually reached any conclusions about it, which is why I guess I'm going to talk about it here. Because, you know, if I, don't, if I can't make my mind up about something, then that's when I kind of feel like it's worth talking about. When I see this thing written down, for some reason it confuses me, and that is the term power dynamics. Um, and it's most often part of a statement released by a victim of, of an accuser, uh, uh, sorry, a, a victim who is accusing an abuser of taking advantage of what is often called a toxic or just simply a power dynamic. And in some of the statements I've read this week, that power dynamic described an advantage of fame, uh, of age, of confidence, of money, of access, of sexual experience, of drug resistance, even of ability at a video game. Um, and... A lot of these accusations seem to come out of relationships described as codependent. If you're not familiar with that term, it's when two people get stuck in a cycle of enabling and abuse. And there are many different forms of enabling and abuse, uh, but the common denominator seems to be a lack of self-worth in both parties. And for one, the lack of self-worth leads to the addiction, uh, to the abuse, and the other to the addiction to enabling the abuser. I also think, well, it's my impression that a lack of self-worth can often lead to a lack of understanding of someone's own power. And I've spoken before on the podcast about the power men and women hold when it comes to dating, uh, in a very general sense, that men tend to have the power during a relationship, but before marriage, because it's more often the woman who desires an increased commitment. Uh, but conversely, that women tend to have the power before a relationship because it's more often the man who simply desires sex. 
that men tend to have physical power in a relationship because they often earn more and that women tend to have emotional power in a, in a relationship because their ties to community and friends are greater than men and so on. And we all share the supposed, supposed equal power of the law and now have the option to wield the power of online attention. Um, and so I think if you identify with any of the stories that have come out, it can possibly be useful to be honest about the power you wield. I think this is why maybe uh, I, I get a little confused by the idea of a toxic power dynamic. Uh, because in some ways I feel like it's missing the power we all have. And maybe, you know, putting something on Twitter is a way of uh, feeling like the power is equal. And airing something on Twitter is a way of feeling like the power is equal. For instance, James Banks feeling like his power may be now equal to the power that Paul was wielding over him as an elder statesman of the scene. Uh, but I guess, I guess... Thinking about how you're wielding the power that you have um, is just as useful in this scenario. And if you identify with any of the stories that have come out, um, also with who you're allowing to have power over you. Because I think we all do that to some extent. Um, I certainly do it. Uh, And I'm probably as guilty of allowing people to have power over me as I am in wielding unfairly my power over other people i think it's enough about that let's move on (laughs) to not necessarily a brighter subject uh cheating accusations between mibr and chaos so there was a match between chaos and mibr this week and chaos were actually playing without steel who for some reason couldn't uh, participate. Oh, that's right, because it's an RMR tournament. I think this was a qualification for CS Summit 6. Now, after this uh, match in which Chaos beat MIBR, quite surprisingly, 2-1, because the coach was standing in for still, um, some clips were thrown about that featured the player Leaf and the player Zen from uh, Chaos that appeared a little suspicious to some of the players, including Fallen, who uh, tweeted, I don't like to accuse anyone of cheating without evidence. They've done this to me in the past, and it can be a great injustice. Let's wait for the championship to find out is just what we can do. I found the uploaded clips suspicious, yes. (laughs) Uh, Now, dear listener Brax, who's helped compile this news, has then written, this caused the whole Brazilian scene to go after Leaf and Zeppa on Twitter and harass, is it Zen or Zeppa? Uh, I think it's Zeppa, and harass them over clips that Fallen found suspicious. Now, uh, Brax, I would say it's not the whole Brazilian scene, it's just some of them. We can't conflate uh, some people with the entire Brazilian scene. Uh, After this, Fallen tweeted, I ask that you do not offend or take sides against the opponent before an official position. A lot of people threatening the boy, etc. This is not cool. (laughs) But then Tarek uh, posted a clip of Leaf, uh, sort of being quite suspicious of it too and uh, Fallen replied to that three blatant aim locks in the same series 
that way amazed face. Now, he's copped a lot of criticism for this, as has Gorlez, the Brazilian streamer, who regularly pulls in massive numbers from the Brazilian audience for MIBR matches. He also mentioned that Chaos were looking suspicious on his stream and has done some very insinuating tweeting. As I mentioned, he and Fallen have been heavily criticized by people like uh, Device, Richard Lewis, Sponge, and others for wielding their influence in a witch hunt. And I thought that one of the best responses was Vanity, one of the teammates for Leaf and Zeppa, who demonstrated how a supposed wall hack in one of the clips actually wasn't possible because of the way the, the game draws uh, models. It is possible, I would say, if some of these pros got as excited about the conflict of interest as they did some of these fishy clips, we wouldn't have seen a repeat of a matchup between Yeah and MIBR at the same qualifier last week, which, for my money, was provably more nonsensical. I definitely think there should be a conversation about cheating that doesn't happen. Uh, and a lot of people were saying, you know, we need to leave, it up, leave this up to the admins. And I guess that's one thing. But as I mentioned last year, it seems kind of unbelievable to me that there aren't people currently cheating in the pro scene. Um, accusing a 16-year-old publicly, as Leaf is, may not be the best way to go about discussing it. But at this stage, it kind of feels too taboo to me, doesn't it? It feels a little too taboo. Why is it taboo? Cheating happens. It happens in every sport. It could be because of the moratorium that CSGO Reddit has on it, where you're not allowed to post any uh, cheating accusations. But I think it's also because we as a scene uh, don't really want to know. The same way we don't really want to know some of our talent might have actually behaved badly uh, you know, at after parties or behind the scenes. It's kind of upsetting. I would imagine at some stage we're going to get some twitlongers about people cheating. And we're going to have some accusations coming out. Maybe not this year. Maybe not even next year. But at some point, someone's going to be exposing all. And uh, even though I will be unhappy, I'm kind of looking forward to it. <laughs> Maybe it's just because it'll prove me right. Let's move on to CS Summit. This week we had CS Summit 6, which was playing online in uh, Europe and North American brackets. Two qualifiers were held for additional spots. And in the European qualifiers, some of the notable placings we had were Mad Lions. They came out, they fell out in 9th to 16th place. They lost to Pact. And the teams that qualified were Fate, Heroic, Big, OG, and Fnatic. In the qualifiers in North America, uh, we saw the aforementioned game where Chaos beat MIBR 2-1. to and one of the most interesting games was MIBR, who beat Triumph 2-1. to But in those uh, three maps, Grimm had 100 kills. Uh, wait a second, he had 100 kills in two maps, apparently. 64 kills on the first one alone. That went 31 to 28 rounds. Definitely one, uh, one of the matches to watch, according to Brax. I wasn't able to see it. But Grimm is getting a lot of heat. There's talk about him being poached by people. <coughs> nice to have some NA players who are actually uh, causing some heat on the scene. The teams that qualified for the CS Summit 6 in North America were MIBR, Chaos, and Cloud9. And once those qualifiers were over, basically, I think it was the next day, the summit began in earnest. Let's flip back to European uh, CS Summit because we saw some upsets, particularly one of the first matches, I think, between Mouse and Godsent. Godsent won 2-0. 
Brax has written in the news that Chris J had the lowest rating and put the word hint in brackets after it. <laughs> uh, which I guess pertains to the fact that he wants Chris J out of the team. Now, Brax, listen. Listen to me. When you become an old man like me, you will realize that you can't just go through life getting rid of people who slump. And this is actually one of the best messages in Zonic's book, that one of their secrets to success is making the roster work as it is and addressing the issues between them rather than simply trying to solve them by swapping someone else in. Now, a team that's tried to do that and I think has stumbled along the ground uh, potentially because of it is FaZe. And FaZe have been battered around a bit this last week. They've had some incredible results online uh, in general or at least some consistently victorious results, and it's led them to being, I think, third in the HLTV rankings, although the HLTV rankings are very, very, very uh, close right now, at least in the top 10. But they were beaten 0-2 by Big, I think, no less than twice in the last week. And for my money, looked pretty damn miserable. G2 also lost 0-2 to Godsent. Fire League had a 1.53 rating. He's looking very hot right now. If you saw the interview that Device did with HLTV, you will have heard that Fire League is one of the orpers that Device has been watching the demos of. Now, out, last, out in last place in the CS Summit 6 this week was Mouse Sports. They also lost to Fnatic, which is continuing their streak of bad performance. We also saw Existence, Heretics, and Fate get knocked out. Heretics, unfortunately, have not been able to continue some of the flashes of good form they had recently. Still standing <coughs> in the brackets of e, uh, EU, and the matches to come, I think tonight actually, are Vitality versus OG, Fnatic and Big, Heroic and North, and Ninjas in Pajamas and Godsent. Worth noting that Ninjas in Pajamas are finally seeing some good performances out of Res. They have not been that great as a team, at least as good as they were looking last month, but Res has been the one doing the top fragging, so claps for that. Across in North America, some of the notable games we saw over the last week were MIBR losing 0-2 to Furia, Furia getting their revenge for some of their recent defeats. And they kicked MIBR out in last place. They came out in last place alongside Chaos. And the final four for North America, starting tonight, are 100 Thieves, Gen G, EG, and Liquid. And at this point, this feels like a bit of a washing machine because 100 Thieves will have a good game and then get beaten by Gen G. And then Gen G will have a good game and then get beaten by Liquid, who will have a good game and then get beaten by EG and so on. And it's all getting a little bit confusing and incestuous. We've also seen this week the We Play Clutch Island competition happen. If you recall last week, I called that, I think, the CIS Derby or Derby or something like that. Anyway, this was just a CIS-only event. And Na'Vi were hard expectations to win this. And they actually did manage to come first. They beat Spirit in the grand final. It won them a bunch of uh, RMR points. Um, what is it called? Road to Rio... Major, I always forget, Rio Major roster. Ugh, I, I don't care anymore. I'm so tired of this point system. Uh, now, Spirit also garnered a whole lot of points. Virtus Pro garnered two points. Then we got an Amiga and Hard Legion. I think the most uh, upsetting match, <laughs> if you were a, um, a gambling man and you bet on this competition, was the opening uh, match between Navi versus Gambit Youngsters. Gambit Youngsters actually took this 2-0 with a great performance by Shiro. 
It's unclear to me why they are still called Gambit Youngsters, as there doesn't appear to be a Gambit Oldsters, or even a Gambit anymore. But perhaps it's just uh, the management's way of keeping them on lower salaries. Let's move on to some roster changes. There's really not any roster changes this week, but there's some things going on. First up is Mad Lions. <clears throat> they appear to have benched Bubski. According to Nell and Direct, they, well, they're going to bench Bubski, or maybe they have. Uh, he doesn't know why they were going to bench him. And Mad Lions put out a statement admitting that they're reviewing the roster, but didn't really appear to give any reasons. We did, however, get a little taste of a reason in DK's recent mailbag. If you don't know what DK's mailbag is, he answers uh, questions posed to him on Twitter on his website uh, that he writes for. I think it's Double Tap. Um, pretty sure it's Double Tap. Anyway, uh, he said the rumours of Bubski getting benched uh, circled around prior to their Flashpoint victory. He said he had multiple people telling him it was very solid information to report, but he held off anyway because it didn't feel right at the time. But from everything he's heard, it was a clash within the team rather than him getting poached. Bubski's quite uh, vocal on the old Twitter. So possible that it was some personality things. We've also got Mayern. Mayern, he of the 15 Minutes of Fame on MIBR, unfortunately has kind of uh, taken a bit of a downgrade after this. I think even Giants was a better place than he is now. He's on a team called 9Z, an Argentinian team. They are currently ranked 144th on the rankings. <clears throat> they're, they're even number 17 on the South American rankings. So it's a bit of a downgrade for him. And of course in Sweden, we saw the team Hapalenio get bought by Galaxy Racer. If you don't know who Hapalenio are, they're Swedish. They're a Tier 3 team, I would say, with Freddy Frog and Plesson. And Galaxy Racer... <clears throat> are the UAE company who put on the Girl Gamer Festival. I think it's in Dubai. Enough with the news. Let's move on to the review of Zonic's book. Danny Sorensen, a.k.a. Zonic, the coach of Astralis, has finally had his autobiographical book translated into English. It is called Zonic, The Astralis Story, Esports' incredible journey from dingy basements to sold-out arenas. That's Zonic. Uh, what is it? Dash? The Astralis story, colon, esports, apostrophe, incredible journey from dingy basements to sold-out arenas. There's a lot of punctuation in that title, and I like it. I like it that it's a story of three different scales. One man, his team, and a scene. It just opens out, doesn't it? It should be one man, his team, a scene, the galaxy. Sonic the Australia story, esports, incredible journey from dingy basements to sold out arenas in the galaxy. One day I hope to write a book called something like The Truth, dash, The Truth CSGO podcast, colon, esports podcasts, incredible journey from dingy basement to well-lit basements. Look, I read this very quickly. It's a very fun read. If you're looking for salacious inside details in the CSGO scene, I would look elsewhere, although I don't know where else you would look, but probably just people's twit longer these days. Uh, if you're looking for an inspirational few hours on a flight, and if you're a fan of Astralis or Zonic, you are going to love it. And I would say, first up, he has done a much better job of translating it to English than Zeus, who, if you heard my review of his book, will know that for some reason Zeus employed someone for whom English was a fourth language. Now, the drawback of this ghostwriter, uh, well, I guess it's not a ghostwriter because he's credited on the, on the, on the cover as uh, Marcus Berenson. The drawback of this guy, who seems to be quite a competent writer because I assume Zonic 
um, isn't nearly as good as <laughs> uh, this book is written because that would make him basically uh, insanely talented. And I choose to think that no one could be that talented because it makes me feel more secure about myself. Anyway, the drawback of this is that the book feels a little generic. Once Zonic has dispensed with the usual naughty childhood with a loving parent, he glides along in that way through his story that only the most pruned of autobiographies can. And it's kind of a it's a method that gives you the impression that mega success might suddenly come your way too, as it seems to have come to him. And so quick it's so quick that the pages melt beneath your eyes. It it gives you this a sense of in, inexorable uh, fate. And one of the tactics employed within uh, is the use of indistinct cliffhangers. For instance, uh, one of the chapters ends with, I'll show you who's best. It's an attitude I have more and more need for because big changes are on their way. My brain goes, ooh, big changes. And so I turn the page and continue reading far past my bedtime. Now, I basically whooped out loud when early on in the book he says... I start to think that Counter-Strike has a great deal in common, not only with old strategy games, but also with football. And by football, he, of course, is referring to soccer, which I have been saying since basically episode one should be played mandatorily, <laughs> compulsorily, by all professional CSGO players. Now, most of the commentary in this book uh, about Astralis centers around their innovation. He justifies, uh, sorry, he has a very justified pride for the way that these guys took CS to the next level, uh, getting in dietitians and mental coaches, specifically when some teams were still living like they're at a mid-90s land party that never ended. And one of the things he really emphasizes is the spreading of power from the players to the coaches and the management, which meant that they were not breaking up as commonly as other teams. And I think like the aforementioned FaZe, who seem to sort of be run by the vicissitudes, the vicissitudes, the whims, I should say, not vicissitudes or vicissitudes <laughs> uh, of <clears throat> the players, particularly Nico. Um, I don't know, I've just lost my train of thought. Anyway, he also talks uh, with justified pride about their innovation using grenades and utility. The only piece of gossip in this book is about Golden, and I wouldn't want to, in the words of James Banks, uh, fuck with his livelihood and deprive Zonic of a potential book sale, so I'll let you read it yourself. Overall, this book does not provide the endless fodder that the unhinged ramblings of Zeus's book did. And despite having a surprisingly similar start in life to Zeus, <clears throat> Zonic is far more restrained in his anecdotes and descriptions. My only complaint uh, with the book is that he neglects to mention being interviewed at IEM Sydney 2018 by a local Australian CSGO podcast, which was obviously a highlight of the year. Um, but I can understand how he might have mixed up some of their achievements around the time. So last up, we have a conversation with Listener B twice. You may recall him from the gambling episode when he was chatting about his addiction to betting on CSGO games, amongst other things. Uh, he mentioned the other day that he's now addicted to skins and buying skins. So I thought we'd bring him in for another chat. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm good, man. What's happening? Let's just chat about you for a sec. Because last time we spoke to you uh, was on the gambling episode, right? It would have been, yes, gambling on CSGO and um, third-rate Ukrainian table tennis, I think it was at the time. So, yeah. 
And and you had kind of moved on from that and had stopped spending money on betting and stuff, right? You got it. I hadn't, uh, well, haven't um, gambled like that in um, a couple of years, it would be now. Yeah. So I logged in to CSGO a few weeks ago um, and we had a game. And one of the things I discovered is that not only are you an amazing player right now <laughs> and Please. and you make me ashamed to even be in the same team as you but you mentioned you've been spending a lot of money on skins recently mm, that's correct i have <laughs> um yeah i'm not sure if is it gambling i don't know is it investment possibly over is but um i've become addicted to skins Yes, I have. <laughs> what does that mean? Like, what do you do when you do skins? Um, some people buy watches. Some people buy clothes, shoes. I buy skins. They make me happy. Um, I think, I don't know, it's just something about them that I know it doesn't make you play better. I know it's just a pixel in a video game that you're spending real-life money on, money that you could save or invest or whatever. but. Yeah, I um, I bought my first knife probably about six months ago, just a $350 Elshin Marble Fade, and it was like a massive moment for me. I've always wanted a knife. Who doesn't want a knife in CSGO? Um, and I thought I was spending massive money on it and whatnot, but I got bored of that after about six weeks, eight weeks. And I thought I want something better, and then so I got another knife, and I want something better, and I got another knife, and so on and so forth. Now I own um, a couple of thousand-dollar knives. Uh, one that I've just actually sold today to some Chinese investor on some Chinese website. But I'm balls deep in. So you just bought more knives straight up. You just paid cash for them. Uh, I mean, yeah, not cash obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the first one I bought was just on Steam, on on the Steam Marketplace. Um, but the other ones, um, definitely not. They're from third-party websites. Um, we a really good deal. And so what, like, how do you, are these third-party websites kind of like eBay? Um, do you bid on them? A, no. So there's a couple, look, I don't know how she want to get into sites or I mean name drop or anything like that but there's there's a few really good sites um third party marketplaces uh, to buy skins and we're not just talking knives of norps and ak's and m4s and everything basically i want the full the full command gloves um but look i mean the steam marketplace is is a ripoff so i would never buy anything else on there in the future but third party websites um there's a couple of them that are peer-to-peer so you don't have to part with your skins you put them up for sale um you can keep your game uh, in other words um but most sites are peer-to-peer uh, sorry are not peer-to-peer so you've got a you know a bot will take your skin off you until it sells basically so it so a site being peer-to-peer protects you from being ripped off is that right um look it does in the sense that the skin is still in your account it's in your ownership um and people will um is they can bargain you on the price that you have, but otherwise, if someone buys it, you have 
12 hours like on buff for example which is massive it's the chinese bay of skins basically um unless you've got a chinese bank account you can't actually deposit money onto it which is probably not a bad thing in my case um but you can sell your skins for buff money to buy other skins that's the only way of getting money on there or some people sell arcanas from Dota. um so you're essentially making selling your skins to them getting some of their digital currency and then buying other skins is that right no 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 so you'd set up a buff account um and then which is what i did and then you list your skins on there and if there's a skin so like for example um i i'm in the process of buying a s2 karambit um gamma doppler and so i sold my m9 marble fade and my gloves to make currency on that website now i can buy my karambit because i have enough money on buff example because i don't have a chinese bank account i can't deposit so selling skins is the only way to get money on there so if this new knife that you're buying is less expensive than the buff credits or whatever you got for selling those other two items can you then cash those out i would have to buy more skins and then sell them on other third-party websites in seven days time okay so it's quite confusing um but yeah it makes sense when you're in the bad world of um counter-scrite skins in this place would um blow your mind because the chinese like when china got introduced to csgo money that these guys throw at this game skins it would blow your mind like absolutely blow your mind um what are we talking about what's going to blow my mind um oh there's there's guys with half a million dollars in their inventory um multiple multiple guys and we're talking this is real world money, you know, for pixels and video game, as I said. But uh, a lot of them are collectors, so um, they may never, they'll just hold on to skins. Some of them are investors, so they may hold on to them for a year, watch them grow in value, and then sell them on. Um, there's thousands of really big, big, big investors out there. But that's not me. I just want skins that I enjoy playing with. I'm not into, I don't want to make money from skins, but um, there's plenty of people out there who do. So then what part of it are you addicted to? Um, just the feeling of feeling cool playing with skins that people can't afford. Is that the, that's the honest truth. Like there's something, it's like a status symbol almost in a way. And not be the greatest player, but you've got cool skins. So everyone goes, whoa, like what else is it apart from that? That's literally it. Um, but the problem for me, I get bored after, say, six or eight weeks with something, so I want something better and then better and then better. All of a sudden, I'm you know, looking at knives worth $5,000, a rare, and nobody has them. So, Is that the knife you're trying to buy now? No, no, no. That's only two grand. Um, so, like, the rubies, the emeralds, the sapphires, black pearls, those are the rarest, basically some of the rarest knives in the game. Um uh, on a nice knife, so your your M9s, your butterflies, your karambits, for example, they are very expensive. We're talking, and we're talking US here, five, six, seven thousand um, dollars. I would never pay that for a knife. Um, I don't have that kind of money to throw around, but that's kind of the pinnacle of where I want to get to. But, um, the pipe dream, I think. And and is it and is it possible that you could like trade your way up to that? Um, in time. Yes, you probably could, but things take time. You can't make a quick buck on 
CS, it's hard to make a quick buck on CSGO skins. You could have invested in the Vita 2014 sticker capsules three years ago for 10 bucks each. Those sticker capsules now sell for $2,000. There's literally about 50 of them left that haven't been opened. So mm-hmm. is that's what investors are constantly looking at is kind of what's the next big thing. Mm-hmm. I, one of my mates has just bought a thousand Gamma 2 cases. He thinks in a year's time, the 30 cents they are now, they might be three or four bucks. A thousand cases, that's a lot of money. So, um, but it's a, that's the risk versus reward, I guess. You know, you could hold on to something and it could be a dud. And there's plenty of stories mm-hmm. of that. But um, skin, skin market is like its own little ecosystem. It's crazy. Until you get into the big bad world of it, um, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But um, yeah. Like, I mean, you've got, I would never, one thing I will never do, uh, I will never, ever open another case in my life. I've opened very few cases, but they are the world's biggest scam and ripoff. And the the ironic thing about all of that is all these skins that I'm buying, they have to come from cases. So somebody's opened them. But the tens of thousands of dollars that people spend on opening skins on in cases because it's like some pokey machine. Um, yeah, it's it's terrible. You've got a one in three hundred and eighty four chance of getting a knife from every case you open. Those are terrible odds. And those that three or four dollars that it costs to open that case may not seem like a lot, but you know, you open a thousand cases, there's three or four thousand dollars and you still may not have the knife that you want. You may as well just buy it. If you want something, just go and buy it if you've got the money. Otherwise I'm in about it. <laughs> Don't open cases. <laughs> That's my biggest piece of advice. Are you worried that by the fact that you don't actually even own these skins, technically? Yeah, I am. Big time. That does does cross my mind every day, to be honest, is that this game, this video game, could be taken away from us just like that. Something happened to Valve or um, the, the websites that you've got your skins for sale on or, or whatnot. Um, you could be hacked. The skins could be gone and you've lost a lot of money. Um, that's a very, very real possibility. And... Um, I mean, it was only a couple of years ago that so many of the gambling sites got taken down and people lost thousands of dollars in skins because of um, those websites were gone forever and those skins were lost. You know, you could have $100,000 worth of skins, a million dollars worth of skins in your inventory. And if you cheat on CSGO and get banned from Valve, those skins are gone forever, literally forever. So and it's not like you can you can you can stash skins under your bed either. Like <laughs> no. you've got a there's only one form of currency that you can actually have them in, which is skins. And and the more you abstract them with other sites with their forms of currency, the less safe it gets, isn't it? Because you could you don't own the skins and then you don't own the currency either. And there's more moving pieces. Yeah. Frequent flyer points. You don't at any point, Correct. an airline could say one frequent flyer point is worth a dollar, or tomorrow it's only worth ten cents, right? Yeah, I'm a travel agent by trade, and had clients with a million Virgin frequent flyer points. Virgin goes under; those points are gone. It's the same kind of analogy, you know? Like, literally, have a hundred dollars worth of skins or a million dollars worth of skins, and they could be gone tomorrow. World's a crazy place. Gabe Newell could get uh, accused of sexual assault. Absolutely. And <laughs> the uh, the BDI of 
governments, even in just in Australia, might turn their eye on skin trading and shut it down. Anything could happen. Absolutely. And, uh, and I'm dealing with a Chinese website for a lot of my transactions. Um, that kind of scares me as well. Game could be taken away just like that. When China invades Australia and take us over, you might be spared. You might be able to plead, I've got muff credits. Or what is it? Buff credits. <laughs> <laughs> you got to leave that in. Don't crop that out. <laughs> yeah, um, oh, God, Freudian. Um, I've got buff credits. Don't, um, don't shoot me. That's right. Absolutely. I'm invested in your country. Yeah. A, I'm not Uyghur. B, I've got muff credits. Absolutely. <laughs> so what 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 brought you back to this because i think uh, weren't you kind of sworn off spending money on on this game for a while gambling yes uh, but the thing is i'm don't look at this as a gamble i could sell every skin in my inventory right now i don't have a big inventory but i could make i say make i could get back about three and a half thousand us um, but I've probably spent five and a half thousand US on those skins. So that's the thing. Like it's not like it's it's not like you're, you're duck in the water and you're it's gone forever if you sell them. You will get money back, but you will take a loss. So hence why it's not really an investment because investment makes you money. But I guess if you held on to them for long enough, maybe held on to my skins for a year, I might get my money back. I make money, who knows? Love a crystal ball, but um, you can cut your losses at any time. So I don't really look at it like gambling. I might be naive in that regard. I would say I'm addicted to skins and I'm addicted to always kind of wanting something better. That's the problem. I'm never content with what I have. Um, so if you've got any advice in that regard. Feel free to. <laughs> oh, I can't dish out advice, but I did. I did. <laughs> I did hear a definition. I was doing a little bit of sort of thinking about this before we spoke today, and I did hear this definition um, about of addiction that said there's three characteristics, and one is that it gives a short term. It's something that gives us short term pleasure. Uh, the second is that it gives us. Uh, it's a long term detriment to us, and the third is that we are lacking in control over it. So I'm wondering if. Like what the, and other than the fact that you are, it seems like $2,000 down or one and a half grand down, what, what is the long-term detriment of this addiction, do you think? Um, just getting worse and worse until, in the worst case scenario, you're spending every cent that you've got on skins, from pay and savings and all that kind of stuff. That's worst case scenario. I would hope that it would be that bad. but um, yeah, that's worst case scenario. But I can certainly, those three things ring 100% true. And I'd like to think smart enough to understand that, yeah, that is exactly right. I think we're all kind of addicted to various things in various yeah. ways. Why do you think you are addicted to this particular thing right now? Because I play this game every single night. I love it. Every single night, sorry? Every single night. I play mm-hmm. Counter Strike and love the game i love the people i play with and i've discussed with you in the past it's a bit of an escape for me um but that's why i do it because i want i guess i want to look cool doing it there's really no other 
way of explaining it. I want people to be like, wow, this guy's invented the skins. Wow, I really want that. I bought my friend I play with who I've never met in my life. I bought him a knife the other day. I bought that knife. I've never met the guy, but he's a nice guy, and I wanted to do something nice for him. So, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, crazy. <laughs> you gave me a pistol with a Glock with Bialy stickers. I did. That was, awesome. was your favorite. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's still my best uh, my best gun. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so it sounds like like you're already kind of addicted to the game and the skins are a, like an extension of that. Correct. Yes, absolutely. And there's the way that skins are I guess made and the thousands of skins that are out there for for I guess some and for for me I can only really speak to myself. I always, always looking for something better. Cool, I've got a hundred dollar AK, but a thousand dollar case hardened AK. I want that. That's awesome, and that's like a status symbol. And really, anyone has it, and that's what it's all about. It's like, how many people have this? I want this because it's like a old Rolex or something like that, or a pair of Air Force Ones that no one has. You've got them, so you look cool. That's exactly. That's the best analogy I can actually give. Like, do you want to curb this addiction? No. I, well, tough question to answer, but no would be short answer, but the long answer is I want to be content with what I have. Not, yeah, I want to be content with what I have, know that I can cash out at any time. I will lose a little bit of money, but at least I will. That's money I now don't have. Um, that's kind of the place I want to get to, personally. I feel like there's part of me that's there, but there's also smart enough to understand that there's problems. So you want to be content. So like, wouldn't that, don't you have to ask yourself why you are not content now? So this is the problem. I bought a $1,300 for a Australian dollars for a nine marble fade, very low float. Great knife, awesome knife. Stewie2K uses it. Um, like it's, it's cool. And I bought it because Stewie had it. The only reason why I bought this knife, I was like, that's a sick knife. I'm that knife. And two weeks later, Stewie's using another knife. Oh. Or, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> Um, but I used that knife and kind of that, it's like my Falchion Marble Fade, my very first knife six months ago, three, 350, 400 bucks, 400 bucks Australian. I think it was, I was so happy. And then I'm not happy, but I'm bored of that. So I get another one. And then that Karamba case harden, Karamba case harden, I sell that, buy another one. Cause that's not good enough. But where does it stop? You know what I mean? Does it stop when you don't have money? Um, well, but, but 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 back to where it starts because I've seen knives that Stewie 2K uses and I don't feel the need to uh, buy them. And I also don't feel the need to um, look, in your words, look cool in front of the people I play Counter-Strike with. I'm not knocking that. I'm wondering where that need comes from or that desire comes from. I guess that's, that's the million-dollar question or that's the important question. Um... Yeah, I guess. Uh, look, I mean, I've, I mean, personally, I've been through um, a lot over the past kind of 10 months, and I guess this is in some way, shape, or form escaping from that in a way. Um, 
yeah, maybe it's something I can go over with my counselor. <laughs> you ha- you had like a from memory, you had like a pretty damn good childhood, didn't you? Loving parents and everything. Very, very good childhood. Yeah. Um, I couldn't have been better. I've got I've got an amazing family. I've got two young boys. Um uh yeah, I've got it's just, in that regard. The only the only reason I mention is there's so many people who say that um, addiction comes off comes from you know childhood trauma, but I guess we can yeah. experience trauma at any point in our life, and and often as yeah. well when we feel rejection, that's when we we get addicted to things. Well, that's certainly my my case. Without going into much detail, I mean you know, but audience doesn't need to <laughs> um but yeah definitely in that regard and it's the same with digressing but last week they were going to put a ban on bringing nicotine into the country you couldn't import it anymore so then i start freaking out and i'm not going to have my nicotine <laughs> why does that happen i don't know have you heard the have you heard about the the rat park experiment i have not it's it's quite a well-known experiment in, in in discussions of addiction. It was basically uh, an experiment that that, sort of, that basically proves, in a certain sense, that we are not addicted to substances or behaviours um, unless we are missing a bunch of other healthy um, endorphin-producing activities in our life. Because uh, this this scientist basically tempted a bunch of rats with cocaine. Um, who were removed from other rats and they became addicted. And then he put these rats in this kind of rat park, like this rat wonderland with heaps of rats and heaps of things to do and plenty of food. And they'd have plenty of sex and hang out all the time. And they couldn't get addic- addicted to cocaine no matter how much he tried to make them addicted. And so, I, I mean, I got addicted to Counter-Strike uh, after I broke up with my fiance and, and had a lot of rejection and hurt around that. And one of the things I've been trying to really do since then is build a rat park for myself, uh, like a kind of a not a support system, well, not just a support system, but plenty of people around me who I can always talk to, plenty of fun things I can do that I think are healthier for me that I have really, uh, you know, I have an access to that I haven't considered before making things proximal uh, in a way. We're in very different circumstances in our life, but that's how I'm trying to tackle it. Well, it sounds extremely healthy. And, and even when the, the very first thing you said, like we're not addicted to substances, it just means we're lacking other things. It's the same. Like I know I should exercise more. I know I should get up in the morning, go for runs, that kind of stuff. Because I used to do that, but I've become maybe too content, too lazy along the way. And I don't do that anymore. Mm. Um, yeah. I find I find I can't really uh, regularly like really stick at exercise unless I have someone to do it with, which is that Rat Park thing. Like f- like exercise to me isn't isn't something I'm afraid of or can be bothered or can't be bothered to do um, if it's wrapped up in friendship, you know, and connection. Yeah, it does make sense. It does um, does ring true to me as well. But it's funny because I mean, like you, I've met I've met some really fun people. I mean, you're definitely one of them playing Counter Strike, and it does give you a real amazing sense of connection sometimes. Yeah, absolutely, it does. And um, you know, I mean, I I I moved up to where I live now. I left a lot of my life um, down where I used to live on the on the beaches and. Um, I really haven't formed a great network of 
the close guy friends and all that kind of stuff here. So I'm sure that would have something to do with it all as well, because, you know, who are you accountable to? Who who do you hang out with? You know, who can you bounce ideas off and all that kind of stuff? If you don't have that in your life, then that's a massive part of this community and connections and all that that that's missing. That's so true. Video games can be such an easy way to get it, but they can be a tainted chalice because they offer so many instant rewards that actually sometimes are peripheral to connection with people. Correct. Yeah. You know, just one last thing. I have heard people talking about skins a lot more recently, and it feels like in the last week I've heard uh, maybe three or four references to Katowice Hollows. Is, is, is the skins market sort of uh, surging again? Or is it just that, you know, you see one red taxi and then all of a sudden you see a bunch of them? It's definitely um, on the up and up. And China China is the biggest um, opponent to that. They, When that game got introduced there, um, it has it's taken skins to a whole other level. A couple of years ago, the skin market was still huge, but um, nowhere near what it is today. The money that these people have bought to on um, a strike and what they're willing to throw at the game in regards to probably in regards to skins I'm talking about is uh, a whole other world and until you go on to a site like Buff um, or even just go on CS Money or how much I'm allowed to name drop on this podcast but like even just well-known sites like CS Money for example um, they're so easy to use and so easy to um, well, I can give the skin and this skin, and then I can get this better skin. So, why would I not? Why would I not do that? You know, and oh, I only need to throw in another three hundred dollars US. That's fine. Because the skin's worth two grand US or whatever. But like, you look on Buff, and like to put it in perspective, there are literally hundreds of knives on Buff in emerald, sapphire, ruby, pearl that you have literally. And I'm not making this up. Like tens of thousands to one chance of unboxing those knives. There are hundreds on that site. I'm not just talking normal knives that are amazing knives that anyone can pull from a case. I'm talking, you know, one and a half a million chance of getting these knives. So the money that has been spent on opening cases is astronomical. Astronomical. Wouldn't even surprise me if it's close to a billion dollars. I'm just throwing numbers out there, but, you know, 30 cents for a case and $3.50 for the key. You would have to open thousands of these things to get what you actually want. Hence why I say don't open cases, just buy the skin you want. If you've I, mean, I mean, I, I could definitely, I could definitely uh, you know, what you're saying makes sense, but it's such a sliding scale because I can tell you this because you're my friend. I think it's nuts that you're spending this much on, on knives. I think it's absolutely crazy. Like this, and 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 this is not to say that I don't spend my money on stupid shit all the time, because I certainly do. But it doesn't make it any less nuts. Correct. Two thousand yeah. dollars for a knife or or a return flight, you know, a round the world trip with several stops in Europe. Why? What? What's the? How is there? How is this a competition here? Yeah, there's a virus going around at the moment. I'm not sure if you've heard though, so we can't go to Europe, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Do you smart ass? <laughs> People, listeners, this is what an addict will do. They'll try and distract <laughs> you with technicalities. 
<laughs> Smart ass, all right. Yeah. I can buy you a knife if you want, man, and that will probably make you addicted to skins. I'm just saying. You think you think you buying me a knife will make me addicted to skins? <laughs> I, I thought you knew me. Yeah, you no. might be right. I'm just human after all. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the chat, man. Do you have anything else to say to the uh, the listeners? Uh, apart from don't open cases, no. And the same with what I talked about a couple of years ago: gambling. Um, don't spend what you can't afford to lose. Uh, would really be best advice. Um, I have a bit of money, so you know that money could be to better use savings and literally not doing anything or buying things that actually are real world things. But at the moment, skins make me happy, so I spend some money on skins. But I hope I'm smart enough to um, know when to say when, you know what I mean. I'm glad you're happy. If and when you stop being happy, I will fire the podcast back up. <laughs> we'll talk about <laughs> it. Okay, done. <laughs> That's all for this episode. If you've been feeling overwhelmed with all that you've been reading about this week and hearing about this week and all the drama, remember, criminal barristers get worn out, jury members get worn out, and you do not need to be either. You can turn it all off for a bit. You can uninstall your socials for a while. You can step outside. Or you can simply join in the positivity. I'm currently using my Twitter to simply list all the things I love about CSGO, and you are welcome to join in. That's at the truth CSGO. Thank you to Brax for organizing the news this week. Be twice for the interview. Beaufort did the music. Thank you to the Patreons as well for paying for these server costs. You can get in touch at the truth at the truth Until next time, enjoy the game.